Slow on the uptake there, Billy. Slow on the uptake. My job isn't to add people. My job is to do the, <laughs> the readjustment. Oh, my God. We're off the rails. Oh, I think Tom is off the rails. I think Tom is the one losing this. Tom is fully off the rails. Until Tom figures out what he's saying, Billy and I will start the introductions. My name is Jacob <laughs> Sanderson. Welcome to the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast. I am not your host. Uh, I am one of the co-analysts sitting inside a very confused Tom. And uh, my fun <laughs> fact today uh, is that in addition to impromptu serving as host entirely unexpectedly, I'm coming to you live from my office and I'm having a delicious uh, fish burrito from next door Takafino in Vancouver, British Columbia. All right. I'm Billy. You can find me on Twitter at BigBillyFF. Uh, Tom is still muted, and we're still not sure what's going on with that, but we're going to keep rolling. Uh, my fun fact... No, up, oh, I, I heard him quietly up there. I heard yeah, him very so quietly. I guess a tree went down at the end of the road, and it kind of bugged everything out for a minute because storms here in Winnipeg are a fun thing. <laughs> oh, my God! Well, that's a fun start, everyone. That was great. Everything I swear to God, everything was working, like, right before that moment um billy don't mean to cut you off but hey everybody how's it going this is full tilt dynasty <laughs> podcast uh sponsored by uh, underdog fantasy today's already been fun it's a great start trees falling down heavy winds we had a blizzard and a thunderstorm at the same time last week so fun stuff uh up here in the north as you can see things look a little bit different and there's a reason for that of course, the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast has been a brand built from the ground up with a bunch of people that met completely at random, uh, and the theme will continue. However, it's continuing with another Canadian, uh, you know, group of brethren, right, with the True North Fantasy Football brand. We are joining forces. You will be able to find our content at the True North Fantasy Football.com backslash Full Tilt Dynasty as of tomorrow morning. Um, just an absolutely uh, super fun opportunity, and um, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait. Very supportive. Next, we're going to we have the Saquon Barkley signed jersey giveaway, which you can have one more day to get uh, on track with that. And again, all you have to do is take a picture of you being subbed and subscribed, rated, reviewed, all that stuff. DMs, comment, whatever you're in. We also have tomorrow night at the live draft show, April twenty eighth, first round, uh, where we are giving away a custom full tilt dynasty podcast trophy smack championship belt so best comment of the night will win that as decided by the group and uh oh my gosh other than that i think i think we're okay so of course i am thomas tipple i'm your host of the most time in his hands with stuff that is collapsing all the way around me the metaphor for my entire life you can find me at thomas tipple ff and as you can tell i am wearing the toronto maple leaf sweater because the NHL playoffs are starting and Austin Matthews will lead the franchise as a 60-goal scorer, the first 60-goal scorer to have his team eliminated in the first round. What's going to happen, dude? We got this. This is our year. <laughs> no faith. All right. I, I already did the bulk of my intro. Jacob already did his. So I'll just jump in with my fun fact and say the Bucks are currently up by 24 on the Bulls. Cream City's riding, baby. Let's go. There we go. name for a city. It's a horrible name. And I guess... Oh, Joe, Jacob did his already, so of course our oh, special yeah. guest for the day, which again, <laughs> apologize for the start. That's literally never happened before. I know that gets said a lot uh, with in, in certain fields, but our special guest today is... Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm Scott Barrett. I, I live in Houston, Texas. 
my fun facts. So, uh, Jacob, is it Jacob or Jason? Jacob. It's Jacob. Jacob. Yeah. He's eating a fish burrito. I was telling Billy before the show, I puked up a Chipotle burrito bowl about 45 minutes ago. Should have listened to AJ Brown, you know, Chipotle's poison. Stay away. Hope they're not one of your, your sponsors. Uh, but I was just distracted. Uh, Jacob, we had a, an exchange regarding Drake London's contested True. catches, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to hit on that. We'll have to we talk about I was that. I looking forward to it tonight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, with uh, Scott V from Fantasy Points releasing his uh, wide receiver model, uh, I had mentioned that I am uh, nervous now for my bet tomorrow night about Drake London being the first receiver off the board. After reading that, I am now a little bit uh, concerned. It's a couple of things we're going to touch on tonight. We are going to touch on said article with the wide receiver profile. Cannot wait for that. We're going to touch on the new uh, rankings, uh, courtesy of Scott over on Fantasy Points. Obviously, prop bets and fun stuff like that uh, for tomorrow night's draft, and generally just a just a great time. I mean, I'm I'm ready to go. Uh, Scott, I just wanted to start off Fantasy Points. Uh, obviously, is a top tier site. Where did the idea for Fantasy Points come from? Like, where did that where did that begin? Yeah, it all started with John Hansen, like twenty. 20- two years ago he was really a trailblazer in the industry he started before matthew barry really helped to to shape the industry and what it's become uh he started with i think like an email newsletter uh, or maybe even a printout newsletter uh, letter that later became fantasyguru.com and when i was at pff graham barfield and i both both applied for a full-time job at fantasy guru and and graham beat me out and then uh, NFL.com was hiring a full-time writer. Uh, Graham and I both applied for that, and Graham beat me out uh, yet again. And then, and then Graham and I were always friends, so he was working behind the scenes to get me at NFL.com alongside him. And I was told apparently at one point, oh, it's, it's a lock. As soon as the season ends, we're going to hire you. And then the person in charge of making that decision – I think got fired. And then the number two person changed departments. And then the fill-in who was notified to hire me got fired within the first week. And so that never materialized. But uh, John Hansen sold Fantasy Guru and he wanted to start a new site, you know, get the old gang back together, Joe Dolan, Tom Brawley, Graham Barfield. So Graham left uh, uh, NFL.com to go work there. And he, this time, he was like, no, 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 we got to bring my boy Scott Barrett on. And so we like to think we've built, you know, this sort of um, all-star team of uh, different people. We've made some acquisitions. We brought Wes Huber over, one of my coworkers from PFF. He's now full-time with us. And we have some other exciting announcements coming in June. See, I, I love that. Yeah, uh, Jacob actually had put me on to Fantasy Points, I think. Oh, my gosh, it was a while ago. It was my, my first experience with it. And honestly going through it and getting to learn with some of the tools and now fantasy football has just expanded to more than just that. You guys do DFS, you guys do betting, you even do cards. I mean, it's pretty, um, you guys pretty much have a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. No. Wait for that announcement in June. I, I can't really talk <laughs> about it, but it's, it's going to be exciting. Oh, we'll keep tabs, but no, I love, I love fantasy points for sure. And uh, I mean, I remember, one of my, my first article in the industry was 
um, on, I, I wrote about the Pareto principle and capturing asymmetrical upside in dynasty. And honestly, like, oh, I, I remember inspired that was like your upside wins championships article, which uh, I quoted throughout a lot of my early stuff. And I've been a big fan of Graham's yards created work forever. Like, Yards created from Graham and reception perception from Matt are like my two holy grails of quantifiable film metrics that I, I absolutely adore. So love everything you guys have going on. I'm super pumped to get the chance to talk to you tonight. Um, before we get any any farther, I just want to ask one thing we like to do, Scott, uh, the shows, especially this week, is kind of in the middle of the week, but obviously with news and conjecture and conversations running rampant, uh, we like to do a, like a, a little do we care where we each get to pick one little nugget that's on do like, do we really care about it? Because there are 672,421 other podcasts with twice as many articles and triple the amount of awful tweets about it that we don't like to sit here and hammer home things that have been done and really, really beat to death. Is there something that's floating out there right now that really has drawn your attention that you haven't? just hammered home to death uh, as of yet before tomorrow? Um, I don't know. I guess just basically everything in a mock draft, you know, like uh, everyone's mock draft is going to be extremely wrong. No one knows what's going to happen. So, you know, I think uh, your mock draft just came out. Do we care? I I don't know. I don't know what (laughs) to do. And the the thing I was tweeting out earlier today was like, everyone's trying to be the most accurate mock draft, but like every mock draft is going to be insanely inaccurate. Like why not just do a really fun mock draft? Like give one of the New York teams, both elite corners in sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley have a Chris Olave trade up with the, uh, with the bears in in round one, pair him back up with Justin Fields, who he smashed with Uh, just, just, you know, like, sure. You're going to get that pick wrong, but like have some fun with it. Yeah, I think like I've been living off my mock draft from last year. We were talking about it earlier. I I just had this hilariously hot start where I mean I just got totally lucky. But like this now like legendary mock draft that I've been talking shit about for the last year, I think I got like twelve picks right. (laughs) But like that's that's what it is. I mean that's like that's like (laughs) almost as good as Josh Norris's, which won a giant trophy. Yeah. He's giving himself too much credit. He refers to it legendary, but he's the only one who refers to <laughs> well, it. Well, look, I think it's, it's legend lives on, really. Uh, you know, never forget, seven for seven. We did start <laughs> off with seven. And in honor of that, I will actually be dropping who I think will be my top five so I can get that horrifically wrong. But let me tell you, as the person that controls the content that goes on this show and is released after, if you think – you've heard Jacob talk about a seven for seven. If I go five for five, probably at least four of the people out of our seven that work with us are, are going to leave uh, the show and broadcast. Cause I'm going to be going to work four hours a week, 40 hours a week, <laughs> uploading that clip over and just, over again. Just uh, that clip. We obviously got Toronto Dave. We got Trav. Uh, we're in the chat. We're, we're getting back on track. We started off with this, you know, initially this was called a bonus episode and we all know how the full tilt, Dynasty bonus. There's no, there's no better way to shepherd in a partnership with a Canadian podcasting company than to have like a tree fall down on your street due to a spring storm. I think that's yeah. honestly perfect. Yeah. Um, but luckily, luckily we, luckily we got it back. Um, look, one more thing I wanted to ask you, Scott, about fantasy points. There, as I mentioned, with the do we care, there are so many sites and places to get fantasy content now. Like it is 
officially thrust in the front of everyone's mind. It's not just a gimmick uh, uh, or just a niche anymore. What is it with fantasy points that you feel really drives people to the site? Especially it's, it's a, you know, it's a pay to sub website for most of the content, which I mean, that's not, obviously not a lot of places can really pull that off. Yeah. Fantasy points is not only doing, but it's doing it the right way and very well. What is it that really sets them apart? And what's your favorite tool? Uh, the, the best tool at our company is Graham Barfield. He's just a, a total tool bag. Uh, no, um, so, 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 uh, I think the one thing we do really well is content. I really think we have like the best content in the space. Uh, my favorite fantasy analyst and writer is Wes Huber. Uh, I think he does phenomenal work. The one thing we don't do well is I don't think we market ourselves really well uh, because like the content is so strong. Like even if you look at my articles, like I've, I've chilled on Twitter in comparison to when I was at PFF, but my content's never been better. But some of my articles that used to get like 150 retweets at PFF are getting, you know, like 20 max at now that I'm at fantasy points. And part of that is because of the paywall. So I've been uh, sort of lobbying behind the scenes to uh, try and try and do more with that. Maybe no paywall entirely for the entire off season or just uh, paywall gets applied retroactively after a day, something like that. Just so more people are aware of this content and how good it yeah. is, which I, I really do. Sure. I'm biased. think it is among the best in the space. And then uh, as far as tools, uh, I'm, I'm biased towards all of my own stats, expected fantasy points, uh, schedule adjusted fantasy points per game um, during during the season. Uh, we're going to add some more stuff. I'm hoping to get uh, slot versus outside wide receiver fantasy points per game allowed added this season. Uh, my athleticism score, sports score, uh, Jeff Henderson's war fantasy wins above replacement. Uh, I think we have a lot of really good tools. And again, June something something big is happening in June so be on the lookout in June uh, I, I almost want to have you back in June to make Let's the announcement. I, feel like, I feel like the announcement should come first I mean we did have Austin Gale here before good morning football did uh, I mean that's awesome I love Austin it's not the first time we've broke ground on the full tilt pod so just keep us in mind <laughs> when you're about to break that news um I, I'm just shilling live on the pod. Hey, hey, you have to. That's 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 the game. That's that's why I'm that's here. The game. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I love that. And again, uh, now that I've been introduced to it, especially your ranks, which I do uh, most definitely want to talk about. But before we do that, I just want to take a second to uh, give everyone kind of a break from the start of the show, give everyone a small break of uh, our voices from the now and take a look at a clip from last year's live draft show as we head into it tomorrow. We're going to take a second when we come back. Hey, the show has grown a lot, and you will <laughs> see that uh, with, uh, with these clips. So sit tight. We'll be right back. 30-second break uh, before we come back with Scott Barrett of fantasy points Sewell. i think fields should have gone too and i think fields should be the pick here but i'm i'm by Sewell for now Sewell, Sewell would be my pick you gotta protect your franchise quarterback and cough cold t was team don't worry about protection here so i mean hey that's why he has two don't. kids <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you.
there's something beautiful. We look like a bunch of Twitch streamers. <laughs> I was running off of OBS at the time. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, shout out to Cold T and Corey Spala who were on our show last year. Obviously, I don't think Cold T is too worried about that uh, Jamar Chase pick uh, no. anymore. I think he's pretty happy with how that how that worked out. Although J- uh, Billy did post a graph about how many times uh, Joe Burrow got hit last year, so that. Was- that that hit the Twitter streets. He's still reeling from it. Uh, I, I'm like randomly on Bengals Twitter now. Like that <laughs> that got so much engagement with Bengals Twitter. I get like recommendations. It's like the Cincinnati Bengals are in the news. I'm like, oh okay. Guess I'm a Bengals fan now. Scott, one one thing. Uh, you've obviously been on the fantasy Twitter uh, world for a while now, especially with your time. With, with the other companies you mentioned, uh, one of the things that I've noticed in the, I think the two plus years I've been around here is the team. Uh, how, how do, how do I put this? The team dedicated Twitter verses are probably the scariest, um, I guess, fan pages uh, possible, especially I uh, shout out to the New York giants, uh, Twitter fan base. They're absolutely insane. The Bengals and Steelers are absolutely insane. Insane. From your time, what are what is the team that seems to come at you the most? Like the the, oh, the team of fans who comes at you the most? Oh, this is easy. Um, so I'm I'm a Giants fan. I think Giants Twitter is is really bad. Giants think, Twitter is the worst. I think it's really <laughs> bad. I think uh, Seahawks Twitter is by far the best. They are yeah. so insanely smart. The average hashtag Seahawks Twitter guy is smarter than the average Miami Dolphins beat writer. And it's so funny because like the front like the office. Church of ben be more... What's that? It's like, it's like the for... church of Ben Baldwin. Like they have like uh, yeah. Ben Baldwin and Mina Kimes. And I feel like everyone is just like trying to be as smart as their fearless leaders. I was thinking, I was thinking of Danny Kelly, Mina yeah, Kimes, yeah. Uh, or, or Arif Hassan. I think yeah. he was sort of adopted mm-hmm. by them. A uh, bun- bunch of really sharp guys. And the front office couldn't be more diametrically opposed, which is so funny. Uh, no, but by far the worst is Dolphins Twitter. Uh, they just, any any ne- remotely negative tweet, they just destroy me. And I'm like, always right. I said, you know, J- Jay Ajayi's ridiculous season is not at all sustainable because here's why. And then they were like, you should kill yourself. I know I'm going to kill you. So uh, yeah, they're the worst for sure. Yeah. I, I think for me, the podium is, is Dolphins Twitter and Giants Twitter are two and three, but I think Eagles Twitter is ultimately the worst in my oh. opinion. I, yeah. I do want to give a quick shout out to Giants Twitter. I wish I remembered the guy's name. There's a guy on Giants Twitter who I'm only following. I've blocked about 40 people on Giants Twitter. I, so I'm sure I only I'm follow him blocked. because he's so such an angry New York fan. <laughs> like anytime something remotely bad happens to a to a New York team, I go to Twitter because this guy's just screaming down a timeline. I, lo- I love. That. I, I, I'll have to pull up his name and give him some credit. But I actually like a lot of what we got out of Tony's rookie year. I don't, I don't know what's going on with him, like from up oh. here, while, but. Like I remember when the pick came in and, and just like everybody and it, myself absolutely included, it was just like making fun of the Tony pick online. Well, he turned into the Joker. I mean, the, the like giant Twitter replies to that was just endless entertainment. <laughs> they were so, I, so upset. I do love that for me being a, a 
you know, a completely unbiased Baltimore Ravens fanatic. Unbiased, uh, you know, I tell it like it is, and I'm not a homer at all. I do got to say that uh, me versus Cleveland Browns Twitter has uh, been a fun pastime of mine uh, for seemingly ever. But I do want to, I want to shout out Troy King. Uh, because he is my my king of Dolphins Twitter as we rag on Dolphins Twitter. I do love me some Troy King, uh, friend of the show, former guest. Love that man, but ugh, it is a tough scene out there. And I, I do agree with the Eagles as well. That one's Maddie, you got to talk to your people. Uh, look, let's let's hit the primer, Scott, because again, uh, I mentioned off air. I didn't think that I was smart enough to really fully get through it uh, between Jacob's articles and and your primer. It was a tough scene for my brain uh, when it came to digesting. Had to go through it three times because the information was done so well. Um, what's the process going into writing that? Like, where do you start? Because an uh, article that's that in depth and a piece with that many working parts, obviously, you got to start somewhere. What What was it for you that this is the first thing I'm going through and, and working your way down? Um. Yeah. So maybe I spent like two weeks just researching and, you know, just dumping stuff into a Google doc and just bullet points and things I need to hit on or go back to. And then I started writing and I spent maybe two and a half days just in the Drake London uh, section. And at that point I just like was severely depressed and it's like, what, <laughs> what am I want to do? Who am I writing this for? Like most of my, followers and our subscribers at this point just want the names it's like all right we trust you to do the work who are you showing off for I, if you stack up all of the rookie articles i've written this off season it's 50 percent the length of the catcher in the rye and who wants to read that maybe like 13 of my super diehard subscribers so the question is really like again i kept asking who am i writing this for and it's just I'm writing this for myself. It's it's I do it for me because I really enjoy it and I, I can't do it any other way. So I had the final article, just the list of rankings, no words. And that's for 99% of the subscribers. And the other stuff is, is just for me. Uh, and you were saying, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's tough to comprehend everything in that piece. And like, Hey, like same, like I'm not smart enough to even understand it. I uh, stared at my rankings unblinkingly for nine straight hours trying to rank my top three wide receivers. And it, I just couldn't, it's just like, it's so difficult. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the article. If you want to read half of the catcher in the rye, except about rookie prospects, you, you have that. Uh, well, uh, Boyd in the chat seems to have an answer for you to, to solve your problems on, on people reading through. He says, I'm a simple man. If it says Drake London, I click. So that was it. That's all you needed. Uh, apparently yeah. that's, that's, that's the way. No, it's, it can be tough to write those articles and, and you can tell it's a, it's a passion project. Like you can tell it's really something that goes in. Um, how do you, uh, you know what? You answered that question uh, with your last handle uh, with your last answer. So I'm, I don't even have to ask that. What, what was the biggest surprise to you by the time you were done? Like, obviously you go in there with an idea of how players are. And then by the time you're done writing it, what's the biggest surprise? Uh, the biggest surprise is I thought there would be some clarity. I really, I really thought, you know, I, <laughs> all these words dreadful. I've written, I'd come away more enlightened. And then it's still like Drake London. Okay. The model says he's wide receiver one, but I see this very damning red flag. Uh, uh, there is Jamison Williams wide receiver two, but I see 
two extremely glaring red flags. There's Chris Olave, wide receiver three. I see one very damning red flag. There's wide receiver four, Garrett Wilson. Minimal red flags, but he's still wide receiver four. And then Traylon Burks, wide receiver five, another damning red flag. And so I, I did these models because I don't like the subjective. I want to know what is predictive and just like, okay, here's what's predictive and why and how these apply to these wide receivers. And now ranking them is easy. And for, again, for this one, it was, it's just, I have no idea. And I think Billy was asking me before the show is like overall thoughts on this position. And it's like, no one wants to hear this answer. This is the worst answer to give the listeners, but I just think it's naturally very polarizing, very boomer bust class where you take your top seven wide receivers, a random 33% hit massively, a random 33% bust massively. And I don't really know who those are pre hindsight. Um, and that's the answer I hate to give, but it's unfortunately the answer I came away with. Yeah. And it kind of lines up with what we were saying in our rookie countdown. Like we got down to the top four and for us, it was Burks, Wilson, Williams, and London. And we kind of just said at that point, anyone you have number one in that range, like we're, we're not going to be too upset about it. And I mean, you have Olave at three too. And like, there, there's no real, like, fight in that because it it really does feel like a lot of these guys it's just going to be a coin flip on what they do in the nfl i'll I'll fight Olave because as i said on on uh on matt's show this weekend every week i just take a stroll down my street i go into a local denny's i say okay who's the who's the seniors here who gets 15 percent off and then i just punch them in the face and move them down my rookie ranks so if you're you're a senior You don't get to be in my top five. I'm sorry, Chris Olave. I'm sorry, Jahan Dotson. Any any wide receiver, rookie wide receiver who gets 15% off at Denny's gets a 15% reduction. That's my model. Oh, yeah, so so I, I know you're joking on this one, but I, I do want to clarify on this point because I think it's an interesting one. Uh, so a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, seniors, uh, you non-early declares is what it's called. Yes. Uh, yes. You should penalize them in your model. I didn't do that for Devonta Smith and I didn't do that for Chris Olave. And it's for the same reason, which is per sources, really good sources. Both of them had round two uh, consensus grades from the GM advisory committee. uh, And they both decided to stay in school to earn a round one grade and to ideally take their team to win a national championship. And so obviously, you know, when you're penalizing guys for not being a non-early declare, it's typically like a Denzel Mim where it's, okay, they had a round seven grade and they're one year younger, one year wonder uh, who's surprising. Yeah, don't trust that. But for a guy who had a round two committee grade, but uh, ultimately, yeah, the model said wide receiver four. I, I have him wide receiver five. I uh, know wide receiver three. I have him wide receiver four. I think five. And that one, I, that was wild to me. I, I think with Olave. So here's where I stand on the senior thing. Like Olave is one of the weirder seniors that I've had to deal with because his senior year is like the least impressive year since his freshman year. So like usually my answer to like a Devonte Smith last year would be something like, okay, sure. We shouldn't penalize him for staying in senior year, but like how much should we really wait this senior year? Because we know that we prefer these prospects to come out early. So if the senior year is carrying a lot of the production profile, to me, that's a major concern. And I don't tend to factor in a lot of that senior year. Um, with Olave though, like his, sophomore year was actually the most impressive his senior year was kind of bad um like he was i mean he was fine but he was getting outproduced by wilson and even jsn at points um so i do think alave is kind of just who he was last year 
Um, and, and I guess I just find him slightly less impressive. But he ends up checking in at wide receiver six for me. I would be fine with him as close as four. I just look at that list of senior declares in round one, and it is just not inspiring. Like the only two in the last 10 years that have hit it all are Mike Williams, Devontae Parker, and I expect Devonta Smith to be the third. But uh, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with, with uh, Olave. I think he's interesting. He's definitely like I far prefer him. Versus like a Christian Watson to me, who's the far more Mimsian example of a guy who really did come from nowhere, produced late, and all of a sudden here he is skyrocketing up draft boards. Yeah, Olave's situation is weird because I and I said this on the countdown. It, it's really strange to just say, "Let he he is a senior and he fits into that classification," but he he could have just came out last year. And would have just been in the draft. They would, like, like it, it's such a weird. Yeah, situation. I guess I just wouldn't have liked him that much. I don't know. I think he would have been fine last year. So, like, if he comes in last year, if this senior year didn't happen, and say he came in last, say he came out as a junior, we lop his senior year off existence, and we only have his three years to look at. And say he gets that round two grade that he would have gotten last year. Like, where would where would he rank? Because to me, like round two, Chris Olave with his three years, like that's still kind of the same ish as like round two sky more to me, maybe a little bit worse. So that's why he ends up still below him to me in, in the rankings, because if what he has over those guys is draft capital in round one, I just don't care about the draft capital that he gets in round one by staying as a senior. When to me, like I, I don't want players that are seniors. So I'm not going to reward him for moving up from round two to round one by staying for a senior year. Yeah. I, I will just say, I think uh, his sophomore season, like you said, was, was really impressive uh, his junior season was significantly more impressive than Garrett Wilson's, and there's really not much of an age gap between them. Remember, Wilson played an extra game. He had about 60 extra routes. Uh, and then last season, obviously, he was he ranked third on the team in receiving yards. And this is something I used to really penalize wide receivers for uh, foolishly. Uh, I was a little too low on Justin Jefferson. I was a little too low on Amon Ross St. Brown. So I really made more of a point to uh, focus on adding a teammate score uh, that especially captured for high level prospects still in school. I use Wes Huber's Debbie rankings for that. So you can't penalize a Amon Ross St. Brown for Drake London beating him out in receiving yards. You can't do that for Justin Jefferson because Jamar Chase is a Jamar Chase level prospect. And I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is a Jamar Chase level prospect. And of course, Garrett Wilson is supposed to be drafted in round one too. So it's it's sort of like, sure, still really impressive by you know yards per route run or whatever. Uh, but you know the target competition was hyper elite. And remember, Jamison Williams was on uh, two of those teams as well when Olave was the most productive wide receiver in the Power Five from 2019 to 2020. Yeah, I think I I my methodologically I'm just slightly different in. I agree that target competition does matter. I just think what's really difficult for us to do is sometimes like take these Alabama wide receivers, for example, it's like they kept getting drafted highly and we reached sort of a difficult part where it's like all these guys are getting drafted in round one, which is obviously really impressive. So they're obviously elite college receivers, but then we had like rugs came in and he wasn't even very good. And then Judy came in and he was kind of okay. And it's like, man, like, are we, have we constructed this house of cards with all of these teammates where we're like thinking that they're all really good, but actually they're not all as good as we think. And now Smith comes in, Wallace comes in. It seems that those two are, are clearly the best prospects of the bunch. 
to me, I, I think like the way I would just prefer to get around it instead of teammate adjusting, because I think it's just so hard to tell is either just use lower thresholds or uh, I, I really love with these power five guys. I exclusively look at yards per team pass attempt. Some of these guys in these high, high leverage uh, offenses versus like a receiving yards market share or dominator, because I've talked about this a bit before. I love, I love yards per team pass attempt. When you look at some of these Ohio state, LSU, Alabama guys, because their offense are so efficient that they end up popping past thresholds a lot more easily in something that doesn't penalize them for others efficiency. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at like dominator rating or market share, when Jackson Smith and Jigma has an 80 yard touchdown to the house, like it actually does penalize Chris Olave really in a market share standpoint. Whereas from a yards per team pass attempt standpoint, it doesn't do that because it allows, it allows those players to get credit for their role in contributing to an ultra efficient offense. And I think, I think Olave comes out fine. I guess the other thing is, yeah, the age, it, like the Olave versus Wilson thing, I think depends a little bit more on if you focus more on age or experience, because it is interesting where you have two guys that are the same age, albeit one started uh, in school a full year earlier. And I'm probably more on the experience side of the ledger, but I, I could definitely see the argument that those two are closer uh, or, or you even have Olave ahead than, than potentially I foresee them as. Yeah, I'll agree with you there that yards per team pass attempt is going to be more predictive than anything market share because I mean, what are like the best schools, the best programs that have the highest hit rate uh, in terms of churning out uh, fantasy quality wide receivers are always going to be the most efficient ones, the Alabama ones. And the uh, market share numbers are going to be low because they are churning out multiple round one wide receivers this season, last season. Um, and otherwise you're going to get stuck with a lot of, you know, Wandale Robinsons who I like, but supposedly, uh, the only draftable receiver on his team and his quarterback is going to go top five next season. So, uh, possibly. So, um, yeah, that, that's a bias there. So, so I'm with you in general. Yeah. Jacob, um, Wandale for you is moving up down. I, 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 I saw I've been the same standpoint on Wandale since forever. Like if he gets draft capital, I'm super interested. I don't think he's going to get draft capital, but we'll see. Like I I've my standpoint on Wandale will be unchanging until we get the draft capital, which is like, yeah, if he, if he goes in round three on, on day two, I'm going to be drafting a lot of them because his production profile is fantastic. He's an SEC early declare with elite production numbers across the board. I will draft the crap out of him and I don't care about his height. Uh, and if he does not get the draft capital, then I don't care. Like to me, I, I just, to me, like the, I just have not seen enough correlation between athleticism. Once you already factor in draft capital for me to care that much about size and athleticism. Like if I was trying to play Debbie and I was trying to predict where he would be drafted, I would look at that stuff and, and I would have concern as I do have concern that he'll be drafted in round four or five. I think that's entirely plausible. But yeah, if he gets drafted in round three, I'm I'm certainly going to be drafting as much Wandale as possible. Why don't you care about height or catch radius? It, to me, I just have never seen anything that's more predictive than draft capital once you factor for production. Like, I don't see how when we look at like relative athletic scores amongst re- receivers within draft capital buckets and within production buckets. I don't see any discrimination that I've ever looked at where the more athletic prospects are outperforming less athletic prospects once we've already looked at production and draft capital. So I'm, I mean, you do way more stuff with sports. So I'm interested to see your take on it because to me, like to the extent that athleticism is predictive of talent, it's predictive of draft capital. Yeah. So uh, receivers of Wandale Robinson's height or less than 
since like 2000. There's only one uh, to have multiple seasons with at least 650 receiving yards, and that's Cole Beasley. Uh, so that's at least scary to me. The catch radius thing, it makes sense intuitively. It's, you know, uh, Tavon Austin, you know, it's just like uh, what's an accurate pass for Christian Watson is going to be completely different than an accurate pass for Rondale Moore. Um, and those, to your point, those wide receivers just don't get draft capital. So, you know, maybe they can overcome it. But uh, with regard to Spork, one interesting thing I noticed is after round one, the less athletic, and you look at it by draft capital, the less athletic you are, the better you tend to perform for fantasy, which is yes. just like a mind blowing to me. I think it's uh, like makes total sense, actually. Yeah, that's that's the wide wide receiver specifically. It's like the the wide receivers who go in round one are have all these intangibles, and they're also hyper athletic. And then after that, it's all just tangibles and NFL teams thinking the forty yard dash means a lot more than it actually does. <laughs> so I think it actually does mean a lot. But my my standpoint is that speed is something. For NFL players, uh, oh man, I thought I had a good point here. Now Scott's gone. Jeez. No, I'm listening. I'm listening. I don't want to waste my point. Yes, headphones. Yeah. I'm listening. I get the. <laughs> no, I think so. My my take on this, and this is totally just like a half baked theory. Um, I don't think it's like even provable if you wanted to try. But my my standpoint is <laughs> that I think I think that the faster you are, the more that you contribute to an NFL team on plays that you don't touch the ball. And so, to my standpoint, like. Once you get past the elite producers, is that only on vertical routes or is that on horizontal routes? I, I think it's both. Like, I think if you have a really fast player in your offense, you can run them on clear out routes. So you can run them in jet motion. And I think that contributes a lot to your offense. Um, whereas like a player like a David Bell to me, like, I guess he might be helpful in run blocking, but like in terms of pass plays to me, he's primarily going to be contributing on routes that he's catching the ball. Whereas like a guy like a Jameson Williams, like I don't think he's going to be the most productive wide receiver in this class, but it wouldn't surprise me if he goes like top in the draft or even if he's necessarily like, he might be the most impactful. If you look at stats like at Sean Jackson and his impact on quarterback performance over the course of his career, oh, yeah. like yeah. even though he's not like the most productive receiver of all time, he's arguably one of the most helpful receivers of all time in terms of contribution to his offense. And so to me, like I look at some of these guys in round two, round three, and the NFL just isn't drafting for PPR scoring. Like I, I buy that a Donovan Peoples Jones running a bunch of clear out routes is like actually helpful to an NFL offense. Like I, maybe he isn't, maybe he is, but I, I buy that that's plausible where if you're like a tertiary option in an offense, that it's probably more effective for that tertiary often option in offense to run a four, three, than it is to have like a four, six guy running out there. Cause he's not going to be drawing that safety help and helping clear things up for better players. So I think like once you get past round one where teams need producers, I think if teams are drafting in round three, round four, round five, it actually doesn't surprise me that the more athletic guys are being filled or filling real life roles while the less athletic guys are actually contributing mostly to their team in a productive capacity that helps for fantasy. I think that's really interesting. I, I've never thought about it like that. Of course, I've heard the Will Fuller, Henry Ruggs argument that, you know, even though he's not touching the ball, he brings this added valuable value to the the rest of the players. And certainly, you know, all right, pin the safeties back, clear out everything in the middle for Darren Waller. Uh, my only question is, but like, how how easily replaceable would that be? Just like Tyquan Thornton's supposed to go in round oh, five, yeah. and he's he has the best ten yard split of any player I think ever. Maybe Chris Johnson, but that's more of an urban legend than an official time. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, then, I totally then, agree with you. 
Like I, I put out even a tweet, like I think it was after MVS signed, where I was like, why do teams keep signing these like Z receiver wind sprinters? Like they continue to get money. I'm like, you can draft these guys in round four and five, like every single year. You're not even going to throw them the ball. Like it's, you can find like, like the chargers to me are a team that is smartly run. And it doesn't surprise me that they had guys like a Jalen Guyton and a Tyrone Johnson who they're paying nothing to. And they're like taking with minimal capital and they're just sending them on love of the game routes like time and time again. Uh, the perfect and- example of that, by the way, was uh, Chris Hogan during his New England ten- tenure. Just nine routes all day. Just Did run you know that Chris Hogan played back. lacrosse? Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> Did he? That's a, that's a flag football route. Just <laughs> go. You there, take off. Yeah, one thing uh, with Wandale, Jacob, you say that you're, it's not really going to matter as long as he gets the draft capital. But as Scott was saying, things like catch radius and and kind of being a little more difficult to maybe use for certain quarterbacks. There's got to, even if he, let's say in a perfect world, Wandale Moore, Wandale, oh my God, Wandale Moore. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you see my Wario. Let's, let's, <laughs> One drink. <laughs> let's say Wario Robinson goes to a team with a god-awful, inaccurate, like, quarterback. Like a Zach Wilson type guy, but it's in... Oh. Oh, I have high hopes for Zach Wilson. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for you too. I is first names. Oh. Everyone, turn on Tom real quick. <laughs> no. uh, I think another tree fell. I got to go. Uh, no, but let's say he goes to a, just a really inaccurate uh, NFL quarterback. Even though he has the draft capital, his size then still doesn't worry you because you're just convinced that it can be overcome. Or. I mean, I'm not like convinced of anything. I, I just, to me, like everything that Scott said about like, oh, like, you know, people the size haven't had this production. Like, yeah, I mean, if you look at, if you, if you look at the draft, like people that size just don't get drafted highly, which again, like, I, I think he probably won't. Like, I think that, I think this is probably a moot discussion and he's probably going to go in round four or five. And like, once you get into day three receivers, to the extent that anything is predictable, you generally want to go for like small school like super producers and it doesn't really matter how old like that's kind of like the model that works if there even is a model that works the like once you get into day three there's no longer to me like good prospects and bad prospects like all day three prospects are probably bad prospects for wide receivers okay. e- even the best ones so if Wandels goes round four round five i'm not really going to be too too interested i mean maybe i'll take some for last in the fourth round of rookie drafts but yeah like to, to me like you know just there's been so few that go in the early rounds that I guess to me, I'm, I'm just not, I'm really resistant to bringing into factor like things that complicate the process that aren't proven to matter. And so I guess to me, like, because the sample size is so tiny with actually good, productive, early producing well, prospects. Well, the small, small sample size is part of the sample size, where it's that, just that the NFL right. doesn't want to take these players. Right, yeah. which to me is like, what all, I've never like once been like caught alive saying, like, I guarantee you Wondell Robinson will get good draft capital. Like, in fact, I don't think he will get good draft capital. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so right. that's the counter to it. Like, and it's, so, yeah. so to me, it's like, I, but I just don't care. Like, to me, like, the, the NFL draft has its place, right? I think he pops well in, in, in terms of the productive stats. And I think that if he does get draft capital – then like I'm there's just no there's nothing there's no circumstance in which Wandell gets good draft capital and I'm looking at an SEC super producer and I'm not gonna draft him because he's too small. 
I'm, I'm just not going to happen for me. Um, I, I think it's entirely likely that he doesn't get the draft capital. And there's a very long history of NFL players who have fantastic production profiles who don't get draft capital. And those players are usually bad because the NFL is telling us, like, we've looked at this player and we don't think he can play either because they're too small, because they are too slow, because they can't separate, whatever it is. But to me, like, once we get the draft capital, then it's like, okay, once you get the draft capital, once you get the production profile, you know, then I'm, I'm willing to take bets on those guys. Like, you know, maybe say Rondell Moore ends up not firing. Say Wandale then gets draft capital. He ends up not firing. Like maybe now we can look at, say, okay, maybe now we can start to draw some more conclusions. But to me, the, yeah. the sample is just so tiny of guys like that who have been drafted that I'm just not going to say that a small guy can't succeed in the NFL but I think the NFL might say that for me. So I think it's fine. If, yeah, I think I think one counter you could make is, uh, I mean, he's just one inch shorter than Steve Smith. Like I, I rattled off that stat. It's like Cole Beasley is the only player that right, short. A million years, five, but it's like, guys. What does, yeah, exactly. So how much Elijah does Moore. one inch difference make? Uh, I'll also say like, I'm actively trying to beat the NFL draft with my ranking. So I'm not looking at draft capital, but like with Jacob, that's going to be a massive variable in my model uh, once, once I run it after the draft. And then just specifically with Wandale Robinson, where he's sort of unique is he was the number one all-purpose running back coming out of high school. Yeah. And yeah. he split time in his freshman season, 50-50 running back wide receiver. So um, there might be some untapped potential there. I think he's a really unique uh, prospect. I keep continually like trying to make the upside arguments for him even though his profile's fraudulent in the same way that Traylon Burks' profile is fraudulent, uh, heart, huge like, slot only, and, and that's less meaningful and that's less predictive because you're running routes against linebackers with plenty of space. You're never up against a legit sticky nickel cornerback. And, and, and like I said, the teammate score and things of that nature. But uh, I am, he, is, he is a player I'm, I'm definitely rooting for, but I do think he's going to get day three draft capital. Yeah, I, I like the... And it kind of became a joke on this show for a couple of weeks that I was the anti Wandale Robinson guy, but it, in reality, like the size argument, yeah, yeah like, anti Wandale. I like to be on anti Wandale, nah, I, I, but like the the size argument for me kind of falls into the same range when like for like thirteen hours we were worried about Kenny Pickett's hands, where it it a lot of people are like no one in the league has Kenny Pickett's hands and no one in the league is succeeding at Wandell Robinson's height. But for me, that feels really similar in saying like there is years of football that weeds these players out. Like there there's years of, you know, high school, middle school, little league, that's baseball. But like, even like just playing in the college practice, there's so many instances where players just get weeded out of the like this next level and the fact that these players are still here and getting talked about potentially going early in the nfl draft with these hindrances should talk more about what the rest of their profile provides because That's it talks more to say what kenny pickett can do as an accurate passer what someone's deep arm could do what Wandale Robinson provides as an agile player. I mean, like you said, he was a running back coming out. So I, that's how I always approach some of these outlier, like physical traits in either the go good or the bad sense, both going both ways. 
I know. Uh, shout out to Toronto, Dave. Uh, almost got Billy to tilt. Uh, almost got uh, interrupted mid sentence again. And Dave, I just <laughs> want to let you know, I tried so hard to make my uh, my <laughs> cuss button uh, work, uh, not just for me, but this son of a uh, didn't actually work properly. So uh, I can't bleep Billy out in the middle of his sentences. I tried. I tried really, really hard. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> one more player I want to talk about before we take another quick break. We're at 49-ish minutes. Uh, just one more player. Uh, Scott, you haven't referenced your non-Power 5 wide receivers. And of our guests, whether it be Pat Dougherty or Austin Gale that, that we've had on the show, you are the lowest I have seen on possibly my favorite receiver in the whole class as Sky Moore. Oh, we're gonna fight. I you have know him, about this. You have him at ten. Uh, below, yeah, so I, I just want to reference below guys like John Mechie, who you have at nine, Christian Watson at eight, George Pickens oh, yeah. at seven, Jahan Dotson at six, and then obviously the Burke Olave Wilson, you know, those guys. But you have Sky oh, this Moore. It's gonna be a war. Ten. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought we were gonna fight about London, but I, I'm gonna fight you way more about Sky Moore. Billy's gone. I, 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 mean, I, I don't need to be here. Yeah. So, so I will say perception just naturally plays a role in anyone's rankings. Like someone tells you this movie is amazing and it's just a mediocre movie. You're like, this movie sucks. But if it, you go in to see uh, uh, a mediocre movie and they tell you it's horrible and you're like, oh, this movie is amazing. So like perception plays a role. And everyone I talked to told me Sky Moore, love Sky Moore, my dynasty uh, co-partner TJ Calkins. He's like, we need him in every single draft. So I expected to love him. TJ is like rarely wrong. My film guys are rarely wrong. And I just did not love him. I did not love the statistical profile. Uh, and I didn't love the tape. I saw one speed. I'm not a tape guy. So like throw that out. But I saw one speed route running. I, I saw uh, not as much separation as I hoped. I, I heard comps to Golden Tate. I did not see anything really that impressive after the catch. And then uh, to get into the statistical profile, I saw some some flaws and like maybe these are somewhat nitpicky, maybe they're not. But I, my model has a natural bias against non-power five wide receivers. And you know what? Guess what? So do I. I just really do. Like the hit rate <laughs> is really bad. Uh, he uh, did not face any power five teams, or he faced one, and he was really oh yeah, a one point six two yards per route run against power five opponents really not good. Uh, and then you just look at some of the nuance to the things he did have going for him, which you can say is his breakout age, his impressive final season. Uh, yeah, he averaged 108 yards per game in his career best final season. But guess what? That pales in comparison to Dwayne Eskridge's 2020, who had 128 yards per game. And, and was like 68 sure. years old. Yeah, you could say, you could say, granted, you could say Dwayne Eskridge is significantly more old, uh, older, but at the same time, he was playing cornerback the year before. He was literally playing cornerback the year before. And it's not just comparing him to Dwayne Eskridge. We should compare him to Jaden Reed because his breakout 2019 freshman season pales in comparison to Jaden Reed's breakout freshman 2018 season. Moore was uh, significantly younger. He was 18.4 versus 19.0, also a true freshman. He was saddled with significantly inferior quarterback play. He was playing with a UDFA and John Wassink. Meanwhile, 
uh, Sky Moore was playing with the consensus QB8, Caleb Ellaby, and he was still competing for targets with Dwayne Eskridge at the time, who was playing wide receiver with, with, uh, with Jaden Reed. He was playing cornerback that first year with Sky Moore. And so it's just a number of different things. Yeah, again, wide receiver 10. I, I don't see Christian Watson upside. And like Christian Watson's upside is insane. Um, I the, the tape did not wow me. My model hated Alec Pierce. I love the Alec Pierce tape. The explosion off the line was incredible. I don't, if I'm being really honest, I don't know that I love liked him significantly more than Jalen Tolbert. But again, you know, perception is everything. And these guys, people hype me up. Like he's a, a top five wide receiver in the class. So I'm eager to hear your rebuttal, Billy and Jacob. Yeah, I, I, I want to jump in because I know Jacob is very heated on this. I focus on his face. I, I more just have a question. Uh, you talked earlier about the, the draft committee and kind of what made Olave want to go back, Devonta Smith go back. They were rumored to be told they had second-round draft capital. So they're, they're told to kind of go back. But shouldn't that be viewed as, an, as a respectable piece that Sky Moore came out because more than likely that committee told him, hey, you're going to get good draft capital. Shouldn't it be something to say the NFL itself is high on him? Because that's an indication as to why he came out, because he got that respect. As yeah, absolutely. Player. And and if you look at uh, mock drafts from, I do projected draft capital. I, I don't really look at it again. I want to beat the NFL draft. But yeah, I think the NFL is going to be higher on Sky more than I am. That's right. fair. Yeah, that's that's super fair. Jacob? Yeah, my so my counter, and I would say this is just like a macro counter to a lot, to pro- probably like the source of every disagreement that I would have with Scott, is that <laughs> I, no, like I'm, I'm just saying like, I oftentimes like whenever I'm having a disagreement with anybody, like, or even in a trade discussion, right? If you're having a trade discussion, you're going back and forth, like, why can't we get this deal done? Like, I think everyone should take a step back and be like, okay, what is like the general like input or just like macro belief or whatever, that's like what is standing in the way of us from agreement. Cause then like, once you realize like we have different principles on this one matter, like um, you just like come to an acceptance. I think that would be like an effective way to just like think about it. Like for instance, in political opinions, uh, I, think, reasonable, uh, take uh, from you, Jacob. I think like probably like the macro difference is that um, my like underlying principle for wide receiver evaluation is that I, I think the burden of proof relies on, the, the plaintiff in a sense to like, tell me why I should care about anything beyond production and draft capital. Uh, and when I say production, I mean age adjusted or experience adjusted production. And to me, like the first that, thing that does that all the do, heavy lifting in my model is, is age adjusted production. And so the first, the first thing that I like try to do whenever someone talks about athleticism or uh, conference level or teammate or whatever, and it's like, okay. He has athleticism, by the way. He's a 90th percentile athlete. By my oh, opinion. no, majorly. I'm saying just like in, in all of these guys, like just yeah. in, in general, right? Or whether this be separation, whatever it is, I'm like, okay, could this be something that's describing something else? 
um, and that, and where like potentially people are seeing patterns that are explained in other ways. And to me, that's what I dove in this offseason on with the group of five guys. It's just why our group of five players have such shitty hit rates? Because we were going to get a lot of prospects from the group of five with, with draft capital this year. We're going to get Sky Moore for sure. Christian Watson isn't group of five, but he's FCS. So I kind of group him in a little bit with yeah, that group. Um, you know, Alec Pierce probably going to get draft capital. And Jalen, is it actually pronounced Tolbert? Yeah, that, that blew my mind. Uh, I was going to let that go. Okay, well, Big Big J uh, is also probably going to get some draft capital and potentially Khalil Shakir as well. So I looked at all these guys. I was like, all right, um, let's let's dive into this a little bit. And you're right. Like, group of five players have an absolutely rancid hit rate. But the issue is, like, we, we already know that declare status is a thing that matters, uh, at least on, on a macro level we do. We've seen it. And most of these group of five players that have come out, even the ones that get drafted highly, just have really shitty experience-adjusted production profiles. You look at so many of these guys that have gotten draft capital. Anthony Miller, Carlos Henderson, Traquan Smith, Aaron Dobson, Dwayne Eskridge, Taewon Taylor, Zay Jones. All of these guys are guys that have gone day two, but that didn't break out until their third year or later, played four years in college. And then you have this other smaller subgroup of guys like a Cortland Sutton, a Michael Gallup, uh, Deontay Johnson, I'm, I'm missing a couple names. I'm going off memory, but guys that actually broke out early produced, but were four-year players. And, and that's had some misses. It's had some hits, but it's generally been a little bit better. And then you just see this tiny little group of three-year players um, that have, that have gotten uh, day two draft capital or better from the group of five. And, and it's actually a one player group. It's just Devante Adams. And now it'll be Sky Moore within the last 10 years. Um, and it's not to say that Sky Moore is now a one for one comp to Devante Adams. That's obviously that's what I heard, but to my point, like to me, he's already reached so many different hurdles. And what, what are those? See, can you repeat those hurdles one more time? Yeah, just like production within his first two years and early declare. Like he's the he is the second three year. No, player. you're. I don't think that's right. There's like a million Daniel Bravermans who had sixteen hundred plus yards and were early declares who went no, and, seven and never hit. No, no, no. I'm saying and and went day two of the draft. Oh, oh, you're factoring in draft capital. Okay. I'm always factoring in draft capital. I don't give a shit about guys on day three. Like, I I'm, don't care I'm about trying to, I'm trying to beat me. the draft. So I'm, I'm trying to throw that out and then add right. it back in later. So to be very clear, like I, uh, to me, I'm not trying to do that. I have like, I'm completely ambivalent about the players. Like my attitude is just, the way I look at it is the NFL tells me who they think is good. And then- like, How and then close I'm, do you think your rankings are going to be to actual rank order draft capital? Not, but that's not what I'm trying to do. Like, so okay. what, what I'm trying to do is like, I'm looking at as a layer, I'm looking at draft capital as one layer. And then I'm looking at the production profile as a second layer. And so to me, I'm just looking at like, who's good contingent upon getting draft capital. So guys like David Bell and Wandale Robinson, to me, profiles guys who, if they get draft capital, look really good. I'm, I'm also like, if I'm in a draft today, I'm approaching them with a shitload of caution because I don't think that they're necessarily going to get draft capital. And we can look at the mock draft data to try and figure that out and fill in the blanks. So to me, like I look at a guy like an Alec Pierce, I don't care where he gets drafted because to me, he profiles like crap. Like he just wasn't ever productive. He played in the group of five. He's a senior. Like, I just don't, I'm not interested. And then I look at all the guys and I'm like, okay, who actually has early production and, and these are the guys that I'm generally interested in is early production, especially early production, early declares. And then I look at the NFL and say, okay, how many of these guys are you going to rule out NFL? And they'll say, yeah, we're crossing off Wandale. We're crossing off David Bell, potentially. We're crossing off maybe Khalil Shakir, whatever these guys are that I like. And then who's left over? And Sky Moore is going to be one of the guys that's left over. Like his profile is really strong when you factor in his draft capital. And he's going to get 
round two draft capital at worst. I think it's honestly more likely he goes round one than round three. Um, he's certainly not going to go on day three. That would be shocking, but quite frankly, yeah. if he goes on day three, based on what mock drafts are telling us, I think his average ADP is like around 40s. Um, yeah. So with Sky Moore, yeah, like basically what I would look at with these group of five guys, the group of five players behave like every other player, which is that the late producing late declares generally suck. Early producing late declares, of which there are more late declares because people just don't declare early from the group of five, are hit and miss. And early producing early declares, there's not a whole lot of them out there, which shows us just how difficult it is to be one from the group of five that get those that get that draft capital. So to me, if Sky Moore checks all those boxes that I would demand from any other player, just the fact that there are so much less of them in the group of five, I really don't hold the conference against them whatsoever. Because to me, like it's the same type of pattern that we see among power five wide receivers. It's not as though like group of five wide receivers are it's not like early declare super producers like Sky Moore are doing worse from the group of five. It's just that most group of five wide receivers who get drafted are just bad prospects. Like they just aren't producing early. They aren't producing a lot or they aren't producing until very late and they're getting, and they're declaring late and they're old. And to me, like a lot of this other stuff, like group of five, for instance, becomes descriptive. It's like, okay, why, why does a player like a Jalen Tolbert, for instance, who I, I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, look at his He's going to go day two as well. Yeah, but he doesn't. He didn't produce until like super late in his career, and he's old. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it's like, okay, why, so why don't I like yeah. a Jalen Tolbert? To me, you can get to the same path in two different perspectives. You can look at it from just like a spreadsheet perspective, which is like, yeah, he produced late, and he's old, and he's late to Claire, and so I'm not interested. And then intellectually, like, why is it the case that so many of these guys fail? Probably because they're just not that developed of players. They have a certain ceiling. And they end up not reaching their ceiling until they're at a point where they're bigger or faster or more technically sound than everybody else they're playing against in these weak conferences. And then when they get to the NFL, it isn't good enough anymore. And with Sky Moore, we'll see if that happens. But to me, it's just so rare that we actually get these highly drafted early declares from a group of five school that I'm not worried about it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm factoring in the fact that he played in a group of five conference at a rate of zero. Um, to be entirely honest, and he ends up being my wide receiver four in the class. Oh, wow. So that is a fairly decent dif uh, difference. So then I just want to ask then, when it comes to a super flex rookie draft, which obviously some people have already done theirs, and, and like normal sane human beings, most people will be gearing up to do it You know, shortly after this weekend. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. He's your wide receiver uh, 10 at this point pre-draft. You're in a dynasty super flex rookie draft. What's the highest pick, uh, assuming he gets that day like or day two capital? What's that highest rookie pick you're going to be willing to to spend on him? Yeah, so I'll just say like even if I'm not adjusting for the lesser competition and the fact that he flopped whenever he faced power five levels of competition, uh, I just don't think his production profile comes anywhere near close to. Names like Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, Chris, uh, you could argue Christian Watson, but John Mechie, I don't, uh, I'd take him probably which, 201. So What's based that? on which, based on which metrics, like I'm, I don't see this at all. Like I can see the argument for Olave. Yeah. So what metrics are you looking at Dotson that put him wide receiver four? So first of all, like if a guy is not breaking out early, then I don't really care that much about the raw production. So Dotson and, uh, and Watson, um, and I, and I forget, 
Yeah, Dawson. Yeah, and Watson, Watson's an easy one. You could just so, so Dawson and Watson did not hit any meaningful thresholds that I look at until year three. So they're immediately behind. Like they could have had six yards per pass attempt in their senior year. I, they would still be behind Sky Moore for me. Um, with Olave, I think like yeah, I, I easily could see an argument for Olave over over Moore. I think that's totally. Dawson fine. didn't hit it till his junior year or his senior year. His junior year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's still not breaking out in year two. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I specifically look like I'm not looking at age. I'm looking at breakout year. So I'm mm-hmm. using year two versus year three as a binary. Um, and then, so I'm, I'm pretty low on Dotson. Like he profiles pretty much like every other senior declare first rounder who's generally bad to me. Um, mm-hmm. He just looks like a total textbook, like senior declare first round fade. Watson looks like a disaster to me. I have him at wide receiver 13. I couldn't possibly be less interested in Christian Watson, to be honest. Oh, my God. Um, I, I love his upside. Like, I just I, – what based on what, though? Like, because he's big and fast? Like, when does that upside yeah. like, ever matter? Uh, so the only metric that's more predictive than yards per team pass attempt is yards per route run. He's hit 2.7 in each of his last three seasons. He had 4.33 last year, which ranks sixth best of over 4,000 qualifying seasons. But that's in his fifth uh, year. T- top 15 in cre- – yeah, so th- there's a number of stats like that, and there's like big red flags and, of course, the age thing, but I'm willing to excuse that when I have him as one of the top 20 most athletic wide receivers since 2000. Again, athleticism is massively overrated at wide receiver, but like with all stats at the polar extremes, it's very predictive and very important. So one thing, uh, Jacob, before before you go yeah. – uh, uh, one thing when I was watching Watson, this is one of the, and I'm not, so I'm not a walking uh, textbook uh, slash computer like Jacob, but I'm also not a quote unquote film bro. I like to take a little bit from everywhere and I tend to use gut analytics uh, maybe more often than I should as I am learning the curves of this analytic space. But watching Christian Watson play receiver was difficult for me. Uh, he, really? there are, I can't – again, I control the content on here. So we do our rookie shows. I'm doing the video cut-ups that we play while we're talking, and there are multiple times. And I made sure it wasn't just once where he's running a deep post and he has burned that uber-shitty competition that he's playing mm-hmm. against. Mm-hmm. All yeah. this, and it's a terrible throw. He he jumps for it. It hits him in the chest with no one yeah. else. Yeah. He's jumping for the ball that he doesn't need to jump for. It's hitting him in the chest and – guaranteed touchdowns are hitting the ground i'm concerned that actually playing the position of wide receiver is difficult and i'm i'm and and i know this is a a guy from germany who wasn't like even really drafted but bullringser that played for me yeah martin bro yeah i know yeah and he's so so the tight end i'm worried that watson's going to struggle to just play the position of wide receiver and look just out of place. Like someone who was just big and fast and can't play. Right. So the, the guy is six, four, 208 pounds. He's by far the worst contested catch receiver in this class. He has the worst drop rate in this class. I mean, obviously as, as Jacob probably knows, uh, you know, drop rate isn't really predictive. Yeah, I don't isn't really meaningful. That, that is a correct. That's, that's the best thing he has going for him as far as I'm what, concerned. What I, what I look at on tape, and again, I'm not a tape guy, is he glides like only I've seen Randy Moss glide. Of course, it's against like vastly inferior competition. My comp for him was like his upside comp would be like a mortal Randy Moss. If, if Randy Moss were mortal, and that's just his so upside. But again, for, like shoot for the moon. Like, at least still we talked about, we talked about Pareto principle, you know, I'm, I'm very, right. I, I, uh, 
willing to take on risk, risk tolerant, and uh, like to chase upside. So when you I say don't like- Randy Moss, do you mean like Oakland Raiders, Randy Damn. Moss? Like that's the ceiling? Oh wait, who who was maybe, the wide receiver? Maybe, uh, who was the wide receiver a couple of years ago? Who was a mix of Randy Moss and Torello and Brian Edwards? Oh, Brian, that was Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my comp for related to Brian Edwards. My comp for, for Christian Watson has been Zay Jones, who was also a tall, athletic specimen who played at a crappy university and didn't break out until his third year, and then got drafted in round two. Uh, and I, I've seen a lot of similarities, in my opinion. Yeah, again, 2.7 yards per route run in each of his last three seasons. It's just like an extremely run-heavy offense, granted with supposedly terrific quarterback play. Um, so I think we we have a disagreement on on uh, on on breakout thresholds. I would I would count that as a, a breakout. Yeah, which um, I think is fair. It's just then that's still a third-year breakout for me. So then I, I'm because he redshirted, right? So I'm holding his redshirt freshman year against him. Then I'm holding his sophomore year against yeah. him. And then we have, yeah. or his, or sorry, redshirt year, then his redshirt freshman year, breaks out redshirt sophomore year, and then he has decent redshirt sophomore year, junior year, and then massive. Uh, I don't, I don't, year. did he, did he redshirt? I know he's 23 by the time of the draft, but I'm not sure if that was a redshirt. I, I think I, that was the second season. I believe he was redshirt that I've, checked because i believe that he was classified i think, think jalen tolbert was definitely redshirt with the acl but i think he came out in yeah let's see rivals christian watson i just want to make he also a- did nothing in high school by the way he was just like a long shot prospect um yeah watson redshirted his true freshman season yeah as a yeah. redshirt freshman caught nine for 165 and then had his breakout year as redshirt sophomore 34 for 732 yeah so to me like Honestly, like once you get to, you're not breaking out till year three, and you play in the FCS. I kind of don't care what else you do. And I just want to point out that uh, Watson had like one year plus one game of really good quarterback play, and everyone else would be on the practice squad uh, for the Toronto Argonauts if they got lucky. I, it like, was I can see it with Watson. You know what? How about this? Like you're so I have Watson like egregiously low in my rankings. <laughs> I will allow like. Maybe thanks to your extra push you've given me, I will move him up to like wide receiver like ten. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's at least more in line with with draft capital. But uh, yeah, I mean, clearly the big distinction is breakout age, and I, I don't think he had that, but he did have enough of everything else with the athleticism, doing some extremely heavy lifting to to make me overlook that. I maybe this is hubris, right. but I I really certainly don't value breakout age and breakout thresholds in the same way you do. It's, it's, it's a tougher to make an argument for a Christian Watson or a Jalen Tolbert. Absolutely. With maybe a, a uh, Jamison Williams, it's a little bit easier, although he certainly has that problem too. Uh, Cause it wasn't just the fact that he was buried on the depth chart in his sophomore season. It was, he was on the field. He just didn't put up numbers and like, that's maybe even more alarming, but uh, th- there's certainly some some players in this class, and then you'll well, have at least they also Bell. have Sky Moore above uh, Jameson Williams. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, okay. I have Sky Moore wide receiver four. Like, I, so I have a top tier of three, which is yeah. London one, who we haven't even talked about yet. Then Wilson, then Burks, 
And then I have Sky oh, Moore. Oh, we get we gotta then, talk about Burks too then. Then I have Sky oh, Moore uh, top of tier two, followed by uh Williams, then Olave, then Pickens. And then Watson right. is hanging out there in tier three with with Dotson and Bell and Mechie and guys like that. Why yeah. don't you like Mechie? I actually, so I actually like Mechie more than most people. It's just you seem to really like him more than most people. Um, is that like nine? I, is that really that? That's like, not, Mechie is Mechie at nine is like the highest I've seen. Honestly, yeah. Um, so people like I, I was actually I was like I was on with Matt on Sunday and I was making the case for John Mechie and and my case for John Mechie is not like that I think he's incredible because I, I certainly don't. But yeah, he's he's not. Like we have been draft like vastly over drafting or like being told from. The, the sermon on the film mount that we have to draft these non-productive Atlanta, uh, Alabama wide receivers for years because of their teammate competition and factoring in all these things in the Alabama Holy Grail. And then this year we get Mechie, who's like certainly not mega productive, but he's not unproductive. Like he actually had a pretty decent sophomore season next to Heisman winner Devontae Smith and half the year next to Waddle. And then he got outshone by Jamison this year, but he still had a really strong year. And I, maybe it's because of the injury, Maybe it's because his name has meh in it, but uh, <laughs> I, I think like, to me he's almost underrated in the sense that he really doesn't look all that much worse than a lot of these like meg producing Alabama wide receivers. Like pretty much all of them outside of Devonte Smith have massive production red flags. Um, and he looks fine to me. Um, he's, he's, he's in my tier three because I, he just doesn't profile as, as special as the other folks in my opinion, but I'm fine with John Mechie. I'll probably draft a good amount of John Mechie. Yeah, I, I think the the one point is is an important one. Just the injuries, and an injury adjusting his numbers. Like if you look also at Canadian, when Waddle, I have to support that. What's that? He's also Canadian, and I have to support. Oh, not, yeah, right. He uh, so when Mechie, Waddle, and Smith were all healthy, Mechie like held his own. He had seventy two percent as yeah, many yeah. yards as Smith on eighty percent as many routes run. He played through a stretch fracture for thirty percent of the season missed practice the entire time he was injured to start the following season averaged just 55 yards per game through his first five and then 108 plus across his final eight so uh, it surprised me I, I kind of talked myself into him uh, as I was writing up that blurb but I have to pee so can I can I take a little break for go absolutely yeah, I, I've uh, semi been waiting for the opportunity to to take a quick break here but the conversation has been so good that it's hard to turn away. When I saw oh Sky Moore rated at 10, I think we got to hit the ranks. Look, everyone, we're at an hour 14 already. Scott uh, was brave enough to say, you know, whatever the time you guys want to ride to, we ride. So uh, Scott's in, in it now. So look, yeah, we're in Toronto Dave can confirm he's right next to you, baby. John Mechie grew up in Brampton. So he's That's like right. right next Ontario to you. Boy. Same here. Uh, Brampton, uh, very close to Guelph. So in me, it, for me, he's a hometown guy. I'll happily oh, draft him in the late different team. language. <laughs> he has a remarkably interesting life. He was born in Taiwan to a Taiwanese yeah. mother. And uh, I believe his father was, I want to say, yeah, Nigerian. Uh, and then they, they moved to Ghana uh, and then moved to Brampton, Canada, and then eventually moved to the States at 14. So how many times do you think we're going to hear that in the NFL draft? Like if he gets right, like, you know, how they love to just talk random stories about players. I feel like that's going to be uh, Mechie's. Look, we're going to yeah. take a quick second. We're going to run a clip back from one of our previous episodes. Just get a little bit of a break uh, in convo. When we come back with Scott, we're going to talk a little bit more about his ranks. There's a certain running back that the quote, 
uh, film bros uh, still love, even though uh, the rest of the world is a little bit off. And we got some quarterbacks I want to hit on because this class, it's fun to talk about because uh, none of us know what the hell we're doing with the quarterbacks. And then, of course, I want to talk some prop bets because we didn't get to uh, yesterday. So sit tight. Uh, we're going to take a quick second. When we come back, we are going to dive into the rest of this. Sit tight, everyone. Enjoy. Oh, my goodness. Okay, one second. Really enjoy. We're going to sit tight. When we come back, <laughs> we're going to get into this. All right, now it's going to work. Yeah, I get the last word every yeah, time. Yeah, he controls because... when the show ends. Yeah, 100%. I can just cut it right now. That's the best part. It's called fascism, Lucas. <laughs> It's not good. Don't love it. It's called. It's called the the uh, only one in has... countries. Sometimes they tell us Kenny Pickett's branded weed and act like we can't say anything <laughs> to disagree. Look, uh, uh, I mean, they're both going to be first round picks. And they're both going to be forty five coming out of college. But um, like, um, yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. I love this show. It's it's so much fun, even if it is the lowest form of analysis, Jacob. 